Welcome to Holyrood Ungagged, the Nicola Sturgeon's driving instructor of political podcasts. Season 5, episode 11. I am your host, David McClement, broadcasting from the Blantyre Free State. And joining me this, I just realised I've stopped writing my script halfway through. But joining me this week is Holyrood OG, um, heir to Falkirk's largest pasta-based business empire, and soon-to-be pre- professor of pepperoni at a leading Scottish university, it's Brian Stewart-Findlay. Hello, Welcome, hello. Brian. Hi, hi. And introducing the third member of this evening's triumvirate, co-convener of SNP Socialists, co-host of Talking Sense podcast, and soft play aficionado, it's Kat Carey. Hello. I Please don't make me go to soft play centres. I don't like them. I read that somewhere. More importantly, I get very, very motion sick on the bus on the way to them, which is my biggest complaint. Is it only when you're on the bus on the way to the soft play? Are buses going other places fine? Uh, There's a few, like if I have to go through Edinburgh or like from where I am down to um, the Pentlands, it's quite uh, up and down all the time. So... I can kind of take the bus out to Porty Beach and it's fine because it's kind of just straight out there. Not a lot of turning, not a lot of weird streets, not a lot of hills. If you don't like, but I could fly down, in airplanes and be fine. Like if you if you don't like up and down, you're in the worst setting. <laughs> That's why worst. I walk everywhere. Fair. The, the, the geography at Edinburgh to me is Waverley and Runabout. That's pretty much it. Waverley and where? Roundabout. Round about Waverley, that's about it. Oh, um, yeah. Even going up that's to Calton like, Hill, that was new for me. That was like new frontiers. I mean, Waverley is almost out of town for me because it's like anything further than the Royal Mile, anything north of Parliament is like, I got to make plans to go. I'm a Southsider. Yeah, I love I loved living in Edinburgh. I lived on the Royal Mile way back in 2005. It's fun times. Living around the meadows is the place to be, especially when it's hot. 2005. Do you know there's like, like growing people walking about that were born in 2005? <laughs> I know. Freaks me out. Yeah. How are we all coping with this heat? I'm, I mean, I'm on the East Coast. It's not as cool here. I used to live on a top floor tenement flat, which it was a lot cooler there. Still not bad. As soon as the sun stops baking my entire living room and bedroom, I'm fine. Oh, it's sweltering in Blantyre. I've literally, mm-hmm. I, I could hardly sleep last night. It was so warm. So today, this morning, I put two vests in the fridge and I'm looking forward to putting one in the morning when I go to bed tonight. Nice. That'll be nice. Yeah. A wee life hack for any of the listening. So my wife just held the, the, the vest plan. There is two vests. Because there's two of us. Aww, how Aww. sweet. See, that's but love. Maybe she doesn't want it and she's got to be so snooty about it. <laughs> Caroline, you're not on this podcast. Go and look in the fridge. <laughs> Actually. Go and look in the fridge. Actually. That's Actually. amazing. Actually, listening to you two in your wedded bliss after however many years of marriage reminds me next Tuesday is my wedding anniversary. Congratulations. And 14, 14 years married. I'll be married 12, 12 years next month. Yeah. Wow. I, did, I had to do time. that very, very old person thing of what year is it? And then <laughs> I was like, 
Yeah. Got married I, in 2009. I'm like, carry the four. And right we, after we, I was in Scotland for the first time, actually. There you go. Did you get married in Scotland or just before? No, I got married in Hawaii. I just ended up in Scotland on deployment for, it was like our R&R kind of, we just burned holes in the sky somewhere not hot and sandy. Deployed from the CIA. <laughs> I don't, I think don't know like, if they do deployments. I'm, I was. I'm not an expert. I don't think they like you talking about that, Kat. So let me keep that in the QT. I was in the Navy. That's what they call it. <laughs> Do you know what Navy stands for? Color blue. Never again volunteer yourself. <laughs> Fair. Anyways, sorry. I was going to say something and I forgot. Dorky. Anyway, let's get on gagged. Before we get started, I just want to point out we will not be discussing um, any ex-First Ministers that have been arrested because, well, our legal team have advised us not to, our vast, unguided legal department. Um, so the first statement agenda... first Minister sounds awful. Can we say former, FFM, former First Minister? Is, I don't know okay. if that's legal or not. I'm I'm fine with ex first minister, former first minister, whatever people are comfortable with. I was just um, teasing. First item in agenda: at time of recording, three Tory MPs have now resigned from Parliament with immediate effect, triggering by-elections in their former seats. Nigel Adams was MP for Selby and Ainsty, completed the hat trick on Saturday, announcing he would be standing down. His resignation follows the bombshell that former Prime Minister or ex Prime Minister. Boris Johnson uh, stood down the previous day. He claimed he was driven out of Parliament by a witch hunt mounted by the Privileges Committee, who were investigating if he had misled the House of Commons. The shock announcement from the former Prime Minister MP for Uxbridge and South Rousselip, see some of the names of these English constituencies, came just hours after his close ally Nadine Doris also said she would be standing down. Is that Ricelip? Rice lip. Is it rice lip? I only know yeah. that from uh, um, the thick of it. Tim in rice lip. Rice lip. There we go. Who would like to kick off talking about all these uh, resignations that came out of the blue over the weekend? Literally out of the blue. Uh-huh. See what you did there? <laughs> Honey, go, Brian? Yeah, um... When did this all happen? It was Friday, wasn't it? Friday night was the first one because I was like, ah, you know, I'm just going to wrap up work for the week. You know, I was like, I'm just going to have a wee weekend off social media. That's what I'm going to do. And then all of a sudden, BBC notifications start flashing up and I was like, of course, Boris Johnson has resigned as an MP because he doesn't like the outcome of the Privileges Committee report, which obviously he has privacy privy to. We haven't seen the report yet. It comes out tomorrow, by the way. Um, on Wednesday the 14th of June so we'll see exactly why Boris Johnson decided to resign um, but the funniest thing was the, the immediate resignation of 
Nadine Doris immediately afterwards. <laughs> it's just, just there's a surprise. Boris is like, I'm off. Nadine Doris, she's off. Nigel Adams was going to be standing down at the next general election anyway. Um, but he's like a massive Boris Johnson supporter. Um, so this is just yet another chapter of the 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 monotonous psychodrama that's been going on within the Conservative Party, basically since Boris Johnson became leader of the Conservative Party, really. Um, and it is pretty exhausting, I think. Um, so this Privileges Committee obviously focuses on his behaviour of parties during uh, his, his time in Downing Street, right? But realistically, to me personally, I think the more important thing to focus on is the actual COVID inquiry, which has just kicked off, um, which again was another psychodrama because Boris Johnson wanted to hand over private WhatsApp messages and the government didn't want to do that. And uh, it's, it's so difficult to keep up and it's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. And what it's doing is it's just sucking all the, the media attention away from what I personally think is extremely important. And that's the fact that there's a report come out today that average wages or what they are in November 2005. You know, things like that that are really, really important that government should be getting on and dealing with. And as usual, Boris Johnson and, and his cronies are are just still in the limelight and it's um yeah, it's just it's just all a bit boring. But anyway, he's gone for now, and then there'll just be more speculation of whether he'll come back and you know if he's gonna try and go to another seat and be parachuted in to them being a you know privileged position blah 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 and i'm sure we can all look forward to reading about that in the future but um funniest thing about this is the fact that nadine doris is not going to the house of lords lol but she's this taking it with good, i was just going to say she's taking it with good grace as you would expect <laughs> <laughs> i mean this is why you should never like be somebody's toady right like in search of something and, and throwing away all your self-respect and dignity for this. And I actually, I didn't know she grew up working class. I um, I actually looked it up and fact-checked it because I didn't believe it. Uh, it's true. She did grow up working class. And I just, I'm like, gal, that is not it. You could have had values, right? Who needs the House of Lords? Um, but it's just, it's kind of pathetic, isn't it? And it makes me sad to see women uh, pathetic like that. Um, the other, the other big news of someone standing down, not immediately, but uh, for the next election, is Ian Blackford, so former Westminster leader of the SNP. I, I'm not sure that the Greens care that much. I'm not sure. I mean, most people in the SNP are like, yeah, go ahead, you know, stand down. That's fine. I think Lib Dems are losing their fucking minds with excitement which is is kind of funny to watch i guess does mm. he have a particular beef with all of them so i'm not aware of or... oh ian blackford <laughs> and the lived Dems. oh yeah yeah, yeah. sorry I just, <laughs> I just remembered that <laughs> i mean i don't really understand the story fully being a foreigner myself um but uh yes i believe that there are certain lib dems including their scottish party leader who have said literally that Ian Blackford killed Charles Kennedy and it wasn't due to lack of support by his peers and, and his own party. Of course, it's it's got to be Ian Blackford's fault. But, you know, before my time, um, Blackford's a big landowner. You know, um, 
and he doesn't really speak to me the way he talks, but I know people who really love to hear what he has to say. Um, but I don't have anything against him. You know, being a free church guy who is pro-gay marriage, pro-GRR, that, that was a powerful thing. So I just, as an American, I would say I would like American politicians to take this on board. All of the people stepping back and resigning for the next generation. I would like to see more of that um, in my home country. I just always think Ian Blackford as being almost like the archetype, old style sort of SNP from like when I was growing up and people would like call them Tartan Tories and they'd always be face sort of somewhere kind of vaguely up north or, you know, away from the central belt. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe maybe that's unfair, but that's just always how I sort of categorise them. I know he's a Hibs fan. I don't know if that makes a difference to anyone. Uh, a step in the right direction. <laughs> um, in terms of like Boris standing down, you know, obviously this report is going to be pretty bad for him if even Boris looks at it and thinks that he can't kind of front it out. But at the same time, he steps away just now. He avoids a lot of the flack, a lot of the kind of mileage in the report or even if it's bad it's not going to have the same legs that it would if he was still a sitting MP he's going to avoid a potential recall election even without all this he's a good chance he would have lost his seat in the next general election the way some of the polls are going so now he gets to step back and it wouldn't surprise me he's come the general election he's pops up again as a candidate in a much safer seat and I used to position himself to sweep in into the rescue of other wreckage is left of the Tory party if, if the polls are to believe that the next general election is going to be catastrophic for them. Um, but I don't think it changes much. He was already a backbench MP. The fact that he's now stepping down, he's not going away. He will. I'd be shocked if he's not back in Parliament at some stage. If it's not this election, he'll pop it up at a by-election at some stage because the guy's just hungry for power. I mean, the centrists on Twitter and are treating like this like the fall with the Berlin Wall when nothing's changed. And it's like classic centrism. It's like, oh, Boris is gone, you know, pop the champagne as if Emperor Palpatine has just been, uh, as, as if the Death Star's blown up. He's not in charge anymore. He's yesterday's man. It's Sunak that's now running things. And it's the same Tory policies. And even no matter how the next election goes, we're still going to get Tory policies because Keir Starmer's made that quite clear. So I don't know where the centrists are getting their excitement from, but, you know, there we have it. I think also that there's rumours that there will be more people that will resign as, as MPs to trigger uh, by-elections. Um, but the, the key thing that I'll say that there's not much coverage about this, uh, you know, the hype around Boris Johnson, particularly the centrists, you know, loving life because he's finally out of parliament um is that nigel adams um he was planning on standing down at the next general election anyway and there's i think there's about four or five people who are currently wanting to replace him to be the candidate to stand for the next general election but now that will be for a by-election one of them is sebastian payne okay now sebastian payne uh, was the whitehall correspondent for the financial times okay and he is basically always on bbc he's always on the politics live and question time and you know and, and sort of placed as this sort of individual who is 
you know, the FT generally quite good at reporting from, from certain issues anyway. And he is presenting himself as the sort of middle of the road guy. Um, but actually he is a headbanger. He is proper conservative. He's, you know, he's um, wanting to, to be a Tory MP um, come the next election or by-election potentially now. Um, and I think we're, the real story with this particular aspect is the Financial Times, Whitehall correspondent, is like obviously very well connected within the conservative circles. Um, and, and somebody in that kind of position being you know so so conservative you know is actually a real detriment i think to the financial times but it also just kind of shows the hand in glove sort of um approach with uh lobby journalists and uh, the westminster elite and so really that's something that's largely ignored going on here but that's just something really really important since nigel adams name is in the headlines I just looked up Sebastian being there. He looks like the classic. I don't yes. know maybe if these pictures are a wee bit older, but he looks no. like the classic Tory boy. Yes. Pain by name, pain by nature. Oh, well, wow. He does. Yeah. yeah. There's also the kind of, if any of you seen, I don't know how much it's just sort of crazy Twitter stuff. But there's a lot of speculation about the this young woman that's been appointed to the Lords and Boris's resignation. Uh, I think she's 29 and she was like the dog walker or something like that, people are saying. Yeah, I've seen quite a lot of people highlight this as why is this individual? Well, there's I don't know if it's a conspiracy theory, but there's people claiming that it's, it's a, like a secret daughter. And then there's <laughs> other, people, other people claiming it's a secret lover, so who knows? It's difficult to know. Maybe both. But people are people are sharing their um our LinkedIn uh, profile and the idea that this person is qualified for the House of Lords, it's like all these like amorphous political jobs, half of them are internships, mm-hmm. uh, either be Boris or somebody close to Boris, and now she's a legislator for life. What a great system the UK has. I know, and and this is another thing that's frustrating when you see uh, the discussion and the debate around poor Nadine Doris or, you know, Nadine Doris not getting into the Lords and, you know, that how controversial Boris Johnson's list was for the House of Lords. That's not the problem. <laughs> the problem is the system. And you've still got, you know, centrist Labour politicians sitting down going, yes, well, you know, we could have, this shouldn't be happening and this is an absolute outrage. And then it's like, yeah, so when are you going to, get rid of the House of Lords. Like, haven't you been saying this for, for such a long time? And even, you know, this Liter- report, like, Literally, they've been saying it for 100 years. 100 years, yeah. It's 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 so, so frustrating that the fact that's, that an outgoing Prime Minister can just pick, you know, X amount of people to put into a lifetime role as a legislator is, is just absolutely outrageous. And the fact that Gordon Brown seems to be the person that Labour has appointed to try and remedy this issue when he was actually the guy that was in power that could have done something about it for a couple of years, not very long. Um, but he was, in fact, he was on the front bench for Labour, you know, since 97, essentially. Um, and he'd he, he done nothing about the House of Lords. And now we've meant to pin hopes on what Gordon Brown wants to achieve within the Labour Party. It's just... It's just exhausting. Like, you know, the whole system is is a con. 
it is privilege, it's unbridled access to lobbying, whatever it is that you want to do, it's completely and utterly unacceptable. And, you know, even though the story that Nadine Doris has not gone to the House of Lords is funny, um, because it's really funny because I laughed when I, when I read this this headline, but at the same time, the whole system needs to go and it needs to go now. If only she would have carried a sword and looked awesome while doing it maybe she'd be in the house of lords which just shows you how ridiculous this is like abolish it abolish the house of lords just get rid of it such a waste maybe we could pay people who are disabled for benefits i was just listening to last week's episode shout out to deborah it's it's also the fact that there is more there's like 776 people in the house of lords they don't even have that many seats to cram them all in and and they're just like making more like whenever they can for their own petty reasons, and uh, and at the same time the Tories are like have been on and keep trying to reduce the number of MPs. It's like they're trying to reduce the number of elected elected representatives, but all these like unelected lords. It's like they don't give a boss. Well, that's how they pay back the campaign donations, right? Um. And it's an open secret that that's what happens. You know, it is, it, it's not even just, you know, oh, that's, you know, you can't say these things that's politically dubious. It's literally an open secret that it's like, oh, I'll give you X amount of donations and, you know, you can, you know, I can lobby on this and lobby on that and have personal connections with this. But, you know, I need to get some kind of peerage or a knighthood or, or you know, a place at the round table, whatever, whatever it is that goes on. I don't know. Um, it's just, it's just. Where to even start? Well, let's scrap it. Also, that's where we can start. Also, coming up um, is the by election in my constituency. The recall petition for Margaret Ferrier is going to be open on the 20th of June. I don't know how I missed this, but I never realized that people had to go to a physical location with ID and sign the petition. I just assumed it would be online. That's you know, like kind of way, why I thought maybe it won't go through. Yeah, well, I mean... People are lazy. Mm-hmm. There's been three recall petitions and one of them did fail. Um, the other two don't... Uh, the other two get 27% and 18.9%, which is fairly comfortable. Uh, but yeah, it did give me a cause for pause because I honestly thought like they would open it up and they would get enough signatures in a day. But it's one thing leaving angry Facebook comments. I wonder how many people are motivated to actually go down to Blantyre Sports Centre. Or that's only one I actually looked up because that's the one near me. But uh, it will be interesting to see. I think they probably will get the votes because people are quite angry. But I wouldn't be totally shocked if it actually fell short. Personally, I'm not going to bother uh, just from the point of view. It feels like she's ran the clock down. You know, the next general elections on its way fairly soon anyway. It just seems pointless to have a a by-election a matter of months before a, a general election now. So I don't feel it particularly seem motivated. Like a huge waste of money. How much do by-elections, how much budget does do the candidates have? I remember the SNP, did they not bring a rule in, charging 10 grand if an MP left to move to, and that was seen to cover the costs of the, the by-election campaign? Oh, that's what they said. I have I don't no know. idea. I think the Electoral Commission sets the budgets. 
Yeah, but I I don't know if they just plucked the 10 grand out of somewhere of that's how much the violation Yeah, David, I feel attacked. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, I think it's more, I think it's like 50 grand or something crazy like that. I think it's a lot. Does it cost a lot of money? But bearing in mind that we could uh, could have avoided all this issue if Margaret Fair had just resigned at the time, you know, when when this originally happened, and we wouldn't have to have gone through these, you know, the following the criminal process and you know everything else that that had to do. That like Margaret Fair could have just resigned. We could have had the by election. I think I, I definitely think the by election should go ahead. And um, I think it's a bit. Is it not something like eight thousand one hundred thirteen signatures? I think that's needed. Yeah, that's ten percent Yeah, and I think it will go ahead. Um, I, I genuinely do. I think a lot of people like you will be surprised that it's a physical thing. It's not just like you know when you sign something for you know the uh, one of the the petitions for you know parliament to to debate something it's not quite as straightforward as that it's it's actually quite a long process and i think it's the first one in scotland am i right yes um yeah. one was northern ireland and i think the other two were in england somewhere yeah so this is the first one to ever happen in scotland so it, it is a pretty big deal and like you're saying there is a lot of anger i think in the constituency i think you know that was quite a long time ago when this originally happened and you know and like you're saying it's a lot easier to vent about these things on social media than it is to take your id go down you know put your name sign something and but i I do believe that it it will go ahead but like you say by the time this this petition goes through and then they schedule the by-election and 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 whatnot that the, the the general election will probably be within you know nine to 12 months after the by-election takes place so you know i mean at the moment i think what six weeks um the petitions open for i don't know how much time even if it's successful how much time they need to process that um but we're talking about september october possibly before that happens and then there could be an election in may it just seems a bit of a waste to me but like you said if margaret ferry had done the honorable thing and stood down years ago, then we wouldn't have been in this situation. But, you know, she's pocketed several years of quite good wages for that, so. Sorry, I've almost gotten to, I've gotten to the document where it says how much you can uh, spend, so. Give me a moment. Talk amongst yourselves. (laughs) That's so funny. It's like fact-checking in real time. I'll just... I mean, it's a lot. I can't remember, but I, I think it's more than 10 grand. And that just seems like such a waste. But, you know, I don't live out there. So. And if there was a by election in Westminster, you wouldn't be able to vote on it because people are excluded from these. No, but I'll have to campaign. <laughs> you would have to campaign. But this is the thing. So, this is, a, you know, just harking back to the importance of having inclusive elections at Westminster, which is not the case. Well, if HQ bus- buses you through, um, Kat, you can meet me for a coffee. Oh, that you know what? That put a silver lining on me not wanting to head over. Uh, I don't think HQ's busing anyone over. I think I would have to undertake that on my own. But uh, there, there's plenty of people who are really good about organizing rides. So we shall see. Okay, let's move on to the next topic. 
Um, Labour has rolled back their pledge to invest £28 billion a year in green industries if it wins power, saying it needs to be responsible with public finances. In 2021, Labour promised to spend £28 billion a year until 2030 on green projects funded by borrowing. Instead, Ch Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves said she would now ramp up investment over time from a 24 election win, reaching £28 billion a year after 2027. Kat. How shocked are you that Labour are um, breaking a promise? Oh, my goodness. I didn't even bat an eye. Um, I thought it was particularly funny because in Holyrood, what Labour has trying to be getting, what Labour has tried to get across and has failed at is saying the Greens aren't the real Green Party. They're not green enough. They don't care about the environment. They just care about independence. We care about the environment and then backing it up with nothing whatsoever. So, I mean, this is, um, I won't say it's good, but I would say it's pretty on brand, pretty unsurprising. And, you know, labor may form the next government in Westminster, but I, I don't think they're going to do as well in Holyrood. And that doesn't make me sad. And, oh, and just on a separate note, it's also stupid because we don't get as much of, of the chat here as in the U.S., but the renewable sector is what the future is, that you get more money on your investment returns. So every time you say, we're not going to invest that much in it, you are just actually putting yourself further and further in the hole. Brian? Uh, no, I wasn't surprised in the slightest. Um, but what was most interesting when Rachel Reeves made that it wasn't even really an announcement it was more like a passing comment that you know that this is not the route that we should go down was that ed Miliband, who is responsible for this area his brief on the uk uh, labor front bench had just tweeted out saying that they were still going ahead with it um you know so it's basically got to the stage where it's like could uk labor please just give us a consistent message to you know address climate breakdown right um so we're in a position now where, you know, Labour is definitely going to try and do it, but they don't think they can afford to do it because it doesn't meet the own fiscal rules that they themselves have made up. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, when you, you know, if you know, it's, it's interesting when we talk about these things from a Westminster perspective, because you literally have all the levers, right, to, to, to make these things happen. Whereas if we talk about these things from the Scottish government point of view, we've got to be like, oh, well, you can't do this. You can't do that. So... It was quite interesting to have this discussion from a, from a Westminster perspective where the Labour has set their own fiscal rules to say we don't want to run on X amount of, of a deficit, right? So they've decided they don't want to do that. So now they can't afford it because the cost of borrowing has gone up so much, right? So what we do is we just let the planet burn. Okay, so how much is that going to cost? <laughs> well, you know, even if you, you take about the, the really important issue of the welfare of people, animals, the, the ecosystem. Um, so, and also, why are they doing it now? Why are they making this announcement now? The general election is like 12 to 18 months away. We're not even in a campaign yet. They're not even going to be pinned down for like their, their costing specifically. And already they're going, well... <laughs> You can't really afford it. We're going to inherit this mess from the Tories. And they're like, yeah, we're electing you to fix it. You know, it's literally your job. Um, so it's just, yeah, really, really frustrating. and But not at all surprising, unfortunately. So here we are. Now, the Labour Party reminds me, um, 
sometimes in myself when I'm trying to look after the kids. It's like when the Tories are in power, they make they they make a mess. So it's like my kids will just like wreck the living room. So I'll come in and I'll be like, right, this is a mess. It's my responsibility to clean it up. We can't have fun. We can't do anything nice because I need to clean this mess up. And I clean it all up. And then the kids come back and wreck it again. And that's just the endless cycle of the UK. Labour constantly lowering uh, expectations uh, to the nth degree, to, to zero, because they need to clean up the Tories' um, latest nonsense. They have clean it up and then they hand it back to the Tories who just wreck the place again. And on and on and on, and I don't see it changing. It's never got to change with the current electoral system in the UK. Yeah, it's just a constant revolving door. You know, you'll get, you know, 10 to 15 years of Tory, 10 to 15 years of Labour, 10 to 15 years of Tory. And then, like you say, it's just going round in circles. And I actually believe that it's, it's a really good analogy because I get it. Like, you know, Tories make a mess, kind of fix it, gets a mess again. But I don't even think the Tories even start to tidy it up. They just don't let it get any messier than it already is. That's That seems to be what their kind of policy area was from 1997. So, yeah, they've done... Um, you know, devolution, you know, there was a lot of issues around that in terms of keeping so many centralised powers at Westminster. Um, you know, yeah, they brought the minimum wage in, but they were paying 16 and 17 year olds like poverty wages. So it's like, you know, it's like they might introduce these grand, fantastic policies, which we needed, but it, they still managed to miss the mark. So it's like they just sort of hold the economy as it is. You know, for the 10 years going, oh, look, things are terrible. And yeah, we funded public services. And yes, the NHS waiting times were better. And, you know, things were functioning better. We're, we're a good manager. That's, you know, that that's how I always view the Labour Party. Like, we managed it well. But, but oh, dear, we didn't change the the, elect, the electoral voting system. So the Tories are back in power now. So enjoy the next 15 years. And to me, that's just, it's just not good enough. And I think we've seen the terrible spiral really since 1979 where you know Thatcher was in absolutely terrible Tories came in didn't really fix any of the major problems and we've ended up with the Tories again for X amount of time and I don't think as, as an electorate Scotland can face that revolving door situation for 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 any longer um because we're already at breaking point in terms of minorities and and the working class and poverty and all these different things so I'm just worried that you know, I just don't want to be in this cycle anymore, basically. Yeah, I just don't know how any they can trust Labour at all. I mean, I suppose you can trust them in terms of you can trust that whatever they're saying, they're likely to just bin. You know, we spoke spoke ad nauseum about the amount of promises Starmer like made that he just broke one after the other. And I just don't know how they could, you know, Take them, take them at their word at anything. Um, and it, it shows again, you're saying, why did they make this now when there's no... Because I don't think they're making this announcement for the general public. This is clearly some interest group that has put pressure on them and the slightest pressure for business or the right-wing press and they collapse. And a lot of time now, they, they'll overcompensate now. Not just cave to whatever the, the tabloids are saying, try to anticipate what they might say next and take that step as well. And it's like, what is the point in them? 
I think it's really hard to sell electorally that you're the party of middle middle management because <laughs> who likes middle management? No one. You know, that's that's all I can think of is labor. Hi, we're labor. We're the middle management. We're going to stop it from getting really bad, but we'll pander to the really bad people, but we'll slow it down. Like, that's literally the pitch. And it's, it's, it's a really, really good point you've made, David, about the, you know, pitching to the Murdochs of the world and, and, you know, the right-wing press and things like that, because ultimately, if Labour wants to get in in the next general election, they're going to need that media power behind them and ultimately labor stands for labor being in power and labor government just being like the the solution to all of our problems when okay will it be better probably but will it be significantly better for minorities working class people living in poverty marginally yeah it will be marginally it will be but it won't radically change the root problems that caused it in the first place. And going back to the discussion last week where you're like, you know, it costs Scotland so much money for people to be in poverty and these mitigating policies and, and things like that we put into place. Like Labour's not going to do the root and branch stuff that needs to, to fix that. And I just hope um, that there will be scope at the next general election where Labour is a minority government and it can work with some of the really um Progressive and and collaborative of parties that we, that that do exist uh, in Westminster, and it would just be good to to see that happening. And now a word from our sponsor. Our sponsor this week is Sense of Nature Pet Service, based in Central Scotland. Sense of Nature gives you a hands-on, personalised experience with a variety of exciting creatures, from snakes and skunks to tarantulas and turtles. Sense of Nature has something for everyone. They offer sensory sessions one-to-one in group sessions, educational encounters for children of all ages, and they are available for private events upon inquiry. Animal welfare is at the forefront of everything they do, and if appropriate, a risk assessment can be carried out at no additional cost prior to your booking. To get 5% off your next booking with Sense of Nature, quote, Holyrood Ungagged 5 at time of booking. To contact Sense of Nature, you can do so by email on sense.of.natureinquiries at outlook.com. You can also find them on most social media platforms by searching for Sense of Nature. Last time when you weren't on, I was like, Sense of Nature. Businesses are preparing to sue the Scottish Government for tens of millions of pounds after ministers yesterday shelved Scotland's deposit return scheme. Mo Razak of the Federation of Independent Retailers, which represents more than a thousand shops across Scotland, said businesses had been seriously shortchanged because of the continuing confusion. He said his organisation is now seeking legal advice on the issue of compensation. Asked if they are now considering to sue the government, he said, yes, we are. Who did I go to first and last name? Right. What a mess. I mean... So the UK Tory government is in a way very good at what they do when they put their mind to it and their mind is in crippling Scotland. It's to keep Scotland from being independent. They are putting up barriers. Um, I I don't understand. I mean, I, I do intellectually, but it's crazy to me that they can be angry at and be suing the Scottish government and not the UK government. Um, it's frustrating. It's 
you know, England and Wales and Northern Ireland are supposed to uh, roll out a deposit return scheme in 2025, right? And that's fine. They just don't want Scotland to be able to say they were first. And it's very, very frustrating. This isn't something that I have had a big part in, you know, on any level, you know, I've answered some emails about it, but other than that, I, I've seen the work that's gone into it, um, both by business sectors, by, you know, people who really wanted it to work. And it's just so frustrating that everything we try to do to make it better for the environment, to make lives a little bit better, just, they just say no. So basically, I'm just raging. Right. Is this the same Mo Razak that's a Labour councillor in South Lanarkshire? As was got to mention that. Yeah. I am interesting that one. Um, But fair enough. Um, So because the Conservative government are basically preventing the full DRS scheme to go ahead, somebody who as a representative of the Labour Party, but also independent retailers, wants to sue the Scottish government. Um, interesting. But, you know, I understand the, the, the perspective of independent retailers, that, you know, for smaller retailers who have, have gone out and, and, you know, done everything that they should have done to make sure that this DRS could go ahead. But I don't know what they're going to sue the Scottish government necessarily for, because the, the scheme has been delayed. It's not been scrapped altogether. Um, I think it's to go into 2025, am I right? To be in line with the rest of the UK. Um, because at, the, at the earliest. At the earliest, yeah. And there's no way that's going to happen on time. I mean, what do you honestly think that the UK government is going to manage to coordinate DRS systems going on in Wales and Scotland to then start at the same time in England that you know, doesn't include glass, doesn't include glass. It's just, for goodness sake, can we just please have a system where we don't have waste? Like, can we just have a circular economy? Like, that's all, that's all we're asking. I mean, this has been discussed, you know, is it seven or eight years or, or even nine years by now, that the DRS system in Scotland, we, we've spoken about this in the, in the, on, on the show before, like as to why, you know, um, that the Internal Markets Act, which is what they had to ask permission for, wasn't even law when... The, the wheels were in motion or when this was consulted on. It's just it's just absolutely ridiculous. And as as for, for Morazak, it's you know, if he wants to to set a legal challenge against the Scottish government and if he thinks that that's gonna improve the um the lives of, of the retailers that he represents, then you know that's within his rights to do that. You know, that if that's what he feels that he needs to do. But um what I would say is that it would be great if opposition politicians or parties who claim to be on the left and, and want to address the climate emergency, wants to, you know, invest in a circular economy, wants to have less, you know, waste lying around in streets, then maybe just get behind the Scottish government to 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 lobby and to put pressure on the UK government so that we can go ahead and, and use the system which these independent retailers have um already done the legwork for and, and is ready and it should, really should have been going in the next two months. Is that right? That's when it should have gone live originally. Yeah, uh, this month, I think it was supposed to. Say. Yeah, so it's just it's just frustrating, but I just don't think Morazak's 
frustration has been channeled in, in the right way or the party that he um, represent he is a representative of i mean i don't i don't really get where businesses are coming well i do and i don't get where they're coming from because is this not what they wanted you know if they know but they've been a lot of like, the retail bodies have been dragging their heels and at every stage demanding that this scheme gets scrapped or delayed and said oh it's too expensive can't afford it blah blah and now that it's get delayed, they're like, oh, this is this is ridiculous. We're going to have to sue you now. And it's like, well, make up your mind. But um, quite interestingly, Morazak, he is a councillor in Blantyre and he runs one of the local shops. And my daughter's class was invited to his shop to see the facilities that they installed. And my daughter and her friends were so excited about recycling, which was great. And, you know, she was coming to me and she was saying, right, can we set aside um, bottles and cans and things like that so that she can take them to um, around a most shop to get them recycled? And it's, you know, all that excitement is just going to evaporate now because 2025 is a long way away for a 10-year-old. Um, so from that point of view, from small retailers like that who clearly have got on board and put these kind of machines and facilities in there, I can see why they're angry, but why are they not angry about the people that sabotage the scheme? You know, and that's the UK government. To then turn around and try to blame the Scottish government is just completely backwards. I just can't get it at all. I didn't I cannot get on board and how I don't see how any honest actor can look at this situation and go, oh, it was the Scottish government's fault, it's not going ahead now. When everybody sees what's happened, uh, the Tories, they, they demanded glass was included, or then glass wasn't to be included, or they, this can't go ahead, oh my goodness, how terrible it is now that it's not going ahead. And they're just a bunch of, I mean, how have we got this situation where something is banal is recycling? You know, it's not exactly like an exciting hot button issue. You know, it's it's processing waste in a positive, you know, green way. And if we got to the stage that that's no political, everything's so politicised, it's ridiculous. And the Scottish Tories are just unrecognisable, I think, from the party of, like, say, 20 years ago. You know, you Sue Webber, a Tory MSP, calling... Uh, and, and then Reeve News calling Lorna Slater Lupe Lorna you know the, the Tories are tweeting out like memes specifically like really personal attacks on Lorna Slater and you know oh Murdo Fraser said in chamber that Maggie Chapman was wired to the moon and from another planet than the rest of them like those are fighting words Um, they're so inappropriate it's Absolutely unbelievable. And yeah, sorry, I was agreeing. No, no, I, I mean, I mean, this kind of like, this kind of real negative politics, it, it's, it's effective because the general public do start picking up and associating sort of negative things around the people that are targeted, even if they're kind of fuzzy in the details about what it is. And it's so toxic to the entire political culture. And the Tories, I don't know what is the Scottish Tories, I don't know what's happened to them. I don't know if it's to do with like a general Trumpification of right-wingers across the, the whole planet. 
Is it just that Douglas Ross is just so incapable of operating on a more intellectual level than this that, you know, the whole Tories have devolved into this playground bully level of debate? Uh, or is it even more sinister? Is this instruction specifically about Westminster to just poison the entire well of Scottish politics? To make it, to bring it down to Westminster's level and make it as irrational and non-functional? Um, I don't know the answer. I have this weird theory. It's not really a theory. It's just a thought in my head that, you know, the generation, the boomers and stuff, didn't have a major war. Yeah, there was Vietnam. Yeah, there was the Falklands. But it, it didn't kill half a generation of people, which is great. But I think that that engender, you know, at when you come on the on the opposite side of a war, people want to work together and they want to protect the peace. I think that human memories are short and, and collectively as societies, our memories are short. And this is where we are in politics. And I, I don't really have an answer or a solution to this. It it worries me a lot. Like David, you're, you have little kids. I have little kids, right? I, I, I worry about what society is going to be like, how much worse it's going to get when they are, you know, young adults. And yeah, that's just my little bit of depressive cat thoughts on this because like nobody wants a war, but nobody wants this either. Yeah, no, I think um, the Scottish Tories are are really, really desperate. And I think what we've seen really, I would say over the last year, actually, I would say over the last year that it's really intensified the Scottish Tories with their attacks on since the Greens went into government is, is one of the things I think this was a, a real driving factor. Um and the 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 perceived um unpopularity of the GRR bill. That was another um area that they so it was almost like a loose thread that they could pull on. After uh, previously supporting it. it. It was in their manifesto to to update the the, the GRR the GRA process um but for them you know it's um it's always going to be culture war first and popularity first the tories are absolutely desperate because you know at the at their lowest point you know during the liz trust the you know lull of the support of the tories across the uk that the scottish tories were going to be reduced to absolutely nothing like you know the, the polling was so low and for them they they are desperate to try and maintain their presence in Scottish politics, because if, if there was a, a Hollywood election now, they would end up in third place. Uh, Labour would would likely uh, go into second place. SNP would reduce slightly. Greens might grow slightly, and Lib Dems would grow slightly. Right, that's the general picture. And they're just they're just baying to be um, relevant. Uh, and I think the the DR the DRS was almost like the the GRR bill, in their opinion, was put to bed literally because you know after all they're they're frolicking around and uh, and Holyrood during the actual debates and all the media coverage that was around that and then you know ultimately the Conservative government blocking it and um, they they immediately shifted onto the DRS and it was all about the Lorna Slater personally about her being an incompetent minister and I mean Lorna Slater has has only been a minister for a year right. And I'm I'm no huge fan of the you know the Butte House Agreement, the Green the Green having junior minister roles, blah blah blah. Um, but I mean she's only been in the role for what a year, something like that. Like you know, cut her some slack. Like 
but they they're just attack 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 um and i think it was just like a natural progression on from the grr um argument and what they're trying to do is is take opportunity of everything that's happening in the media with the smp so the the um police investigation into the finances what's happened over the weekend when nicholas sturgeon been arrested everything like that has is just is for them is just fodder and to tear down the SNP, Labour, Labour are just as bad at this because SNP has been so dominant in Scottish politics since 2015, you know, between 45% and 50% polling consistently. Uh, and I think for any party, it's just desperate to rip that away. And for the Tories, it's really, really personal because they won't, I mean, they're, they're never going to win a Holyrood election, you know, I don't think in my lifetime. But... um for them, it's personal because they need to, they want to stay in second place, but that's not going to happen. And, you know, the quicker that happens, the better. The less Tory MPs and uh, MSPs in Holyrood, the better. Yeah, I mean, it's really strange that they're feeling this insecure when, you know, this is as successful as the Scottish Tories have been in my lifetime. You know, Sorry, you just froze for a second there. I thought my internet connection went out. Yeah, I think you know, it they, did. <laughs> they get wiped out in 97. Um, they did very little. They did, you know, they were third, but they had some like 17 seats or something, roughly, for the first kind of few parliaments. And then 2016, they did their best ever result. Uh, they managed to retain that in 2021, which is pretty was a surprise to me so this is like their height so why are they so panicked and why are they getting so desperate you know because if they do lose seats in the next election it's only going to they might drop back to third but I think that's the natural sort of level of the Tories in Scotland so I don't see why they feel so threatened by that I mean, the natural place for Labour in Westminster is arguably in opposition. That doesn't mean they're satisfied with it, right? So, you know, you're in a party based on your values, mostly. Most people are. Um, and they're angry because they're losing. I mean, they see Westminster as the ultimate thing, right? Um, they're losing power there and they're angry. And, you know, it gets harder and harder to hold something together in a democracy the longer you have it. Like you said, the S&P have been dominant for a long time and it as we've seen um it, it's harder and harder to hold it together and and they see an opening they smell blood and they're going for it um i don't think it's a wise way to go about it and you know scottish tories don't have to have any kind of coherence in anything i don't think they even attempt it honestly they're just trying to make their bosses look good in westminster um i think labor's a little bit of a different story but I think both of those parties really insult their voters. They insult the electorate and tell them things that aren't true because they know most people are turned turned off or tuned out of politics. And like you said, they just get a vibe based on all the abuse that's floated out in the air. It's vibe-based politics, isn't it? And then you can see it again with like with Douglas Ross, like with this this issue in Maury uh, Pride celebrations with this, you know, the the drag queen story uh, in Maury library as well you know the fact that he himself has apparently received complaints from his constituents so if that's true um yeah exactly constituents um you know he himself has 
decided to pander to homophobes in his own constituency and then, you know, try to intervene in Mori Council's Pride celebrations, then tweet about it, right, which will then spark media coverage with the STV and, and, and whatnot, and then you know, it just feeds into the culture war, which, you know, the, the Tories really, really jumped into feet first with, with the GRR bill, um, you know, just for the, you know, the third time or the fourth time in their in their lifetime or whatever. Um, so it's just, it's it's really, really plain to see what, what's going on here. And I know we've kind of gone full circle from the start of this discussion, but it does feel that both unionist parties, big unionist parties are playing vibe-based politics. And it's, and it's frustrating. It is that. I think we'll move on to our final topic of the evening. The SNP should consider the prospect of a multi-option referendum on Scotland's constitutional future, according to the Minister for Independence, Jamie Hepburn. His comments come ahead of a special SNP conference and convention later this month, where the party will discuss the way forward in its push for Scottish independence. Cat, as the SNP member here. So um, I have noted all the, I think that the vibe from the ungagged editorial team is that this is a horrible idea. Um, but I would like to direct everyone's attention to what Jamie Hepburn actually said was that uh, it's not as good of an option as a two, um, two option referendum. What I think this is, is Jamie Hepburn actually showing some tactical genius, right? What he's saying is Labour refuses to make a deal with us on a referendum. They don't want that, right? If they need us to form a government in Westminster, we need to put all these options on the table, even the options we don't like, because what's more important? If, and, and now I don't think that the Greens, SNP, the independence movement would accept a three option referendum. I think those are Typically, you know, generally a bad idea anyways. It needs to be clearly worded, binary choice. But imagine all the unionist parties being fractured over Devo Max or no, right? They're going to have, it's, it's not easy to put that coalition together. Do I want three options on a referendum? No, I don't. Do I think that the party will agree that, to that? No, I don't. Do I think that, yeah, I, I really can't, it's hard for me to put my head into that space. I think it would be interesting to see how the unionist parties would would arrange themselves and would argue for either Devomax or no in that instance, especially with labor with how many, how many percentage of labor voters are actually pro-indie. Like, I don't know if 40% is accurate, but I've heard that number. So that I was that's the number that I was going to say that I failed. I'm yeah. not sure how, so how is. do I want three options? No, I don't. Do I think it's an interesting thought exercise and, and probably a good thing for him to be put for the Minister for Independence to be putting out there to the to the voting public? Yeah, I think I think it's fair on him. Now go ahead and disagree with me. I'm ready for it. Right. Um Sometimes I think when we've got like somebody who is in a ministerial role, so that you know, um, particularly on on something to do with the constitution and independence, that we sometimes think people are playing like four D chess. <laughs> so it's like I I totally get what you're saying, 
uh, cat and I, and I think it, it's not a bad thing to throw loads of options out there and see what sticks but I think that because we've had this conversation so many times um, and it's never really taken root anywhere I just I, I don't think it's a positive discussion and I think it's really surprising that as an SNP person that's thrown it out there right and if it is trying to smoke labour out which I'm assuming might be something that they're trying to do um, <clears throat> then you know if, if that works then that works um, but I just think labour is, is just so like wedded and i'm talking about the nec the the hardcore members that they are just so wedded to the union that i think even a discussion of devo max would be seen as like a oh that's too much you know and and if gordon brown starts to look like a radical person you know suggesting something like that then then we're in real trouble um but this this I think if if SNP are going to be having this conference and, you know, if if Jamie Hepburn is going to say that this is something to be considered, I don't think that's the right kind of place to have that discussion. Um, I think that that might be something that if if there was to be a debate in Holyrood, I think it would be interesting to see how the different parties would respond to it. Um, You know, just to kind of get a feel for where Labour might be. On, on that kind of question, where the Lib Dems might be on on something like that, because they seem to love devolution when it suits them. Um, so yeah, no, I think it would be really interesting to, uh, from that perspective. But I think that the the negativity that's been expressed, I think what I've seen on social media, people are like, oh, not this again. Like, oh, why would you even suggest this? You know, we need India, and that's it. Um, you know, it's the, you know the variety of the 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 reactions to something like that is very much just like I think we're kind of tired of that discussion and I think and and I, and the thing is I don't want to see a three a three you know option referendum I think that it does need to be two it needs to be clear um you know pretty much where we were at 2014 of course there was issues with 2014 like you know with the economy and and and, and the the currency etc cetera, etc cetera. but um I just the reason that I'm against Devo Max, and I think it's always good to have these discussions, right? Because people might be thinking, oh, you know, independence is really quite scary. It's like, you know, a jump in the dark. We don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, we've got bleak status quo, right? <laughs> That's the two options, right? Whereas Devo Max seems like a nice, happy place because a lot of people like this kind of in-between. We get best of both, blah, blah, blah. Well, what we're starting to see with devolution now is what we would probably see under Devo Max. That it would be, you know, if we end up with Conservative government and power at Westminster, it will be slowly eroded from the outside and then it will start to move in and it will start to take over areas which Scotland is meant to be entirely responsible for, right? If we remain part of a Westminster system where um, or part of a UK system, that will always be an issue. That will always be hanging over us and, and it, you know, and for me, that's why I would not support Devo Max just on principle basically but it's um you know I think it's interesting to see where Lib Dems and Labour might be but it's it's an interesting intervention by the Minister for Independence Constitution whatever it is he does. So I mean can I jump in David with a few a yeah. few things um first of all this um it's an independence convention coming up it's not a conference. So nothing is being put to a vote. So it is a discussion amongst the membership. So I think in that respect, it is the place to have that conversation with the members uh, because it's not just getting put up to a vote, right? So it allows it to marinate, allows people to have their say. Um, 
the other thing that I was going to say is instead of having it in parliament, I think one of the other, and I don't think he's playing 3D chess. I think it's a quite simple, if this, then that sort of, sort of deal. Um, I think that if the membership rejects it, which I assume they will, um, then the press isn't allowed to, isn't able to say this is a top-down decision. This is a membership decision that no, we're going to have two options. So, you know, not 5D chess. I don't, sorry, Jamie, I'm not giving you, sorry, minister, <laughs> I'm not going to give you that credit. But I, I do think that this is the venue to have that discussion. And um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be there because I think it's going to be rowdy. Yeah, no, I think if it's going to be SNP members and they're going to have this discussion, like I'm just going to assume that we can guess that it will be chucked out, right? And it won't go anywhere, but there will be that discussion. If the SNP think that that's going to be a beneficial thing for the campaign going forward, great. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the press coverage is around it and, and whatnot. But I think it's just that it was a bold thing to come out and say, let's, let's just say that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it should be, I mean, he said it should be considered. I think there's nothing wrong with saying it should be considered and discussed, even if it is then ultimately rejected. But if you're going to have a, a convention of independence, I think it has to be at least touched on. Um, I mean, I've always thought the the Devo Max thing was a bit pointless to put in a referendum because it would probably win. Because I think at the end of the day, a lot of people would stump for that compromise. Um, it's maybe not as true now, but certainly in 2014, I think easily the, the strongest um, kind of thread of opinion amongst the public was independence sounds nice, but I'm a bit scared. And I think a Devo Max option would have seemed like the best of all worlds for, for those sort of voters. I mean, the thing is, though, I mean, if you put, how would it work practically if you put it in the ballot, you know, First of all, you'd never properly define define what it is because, you know, people talk about Devo Max and it's not everybody's talking about the same thing. Um, certainly, when Labour talks about Devo Max or a Tory M MP talks about Devo Max, you know, that everybody's going to have their, their own sort of idea of how far de uh, devolution can stretch within the UK context. So you would have have to have it really laid out in detail and some kind of legal sort of mechanism to guarantee it because, I mean, are we really going to take the word a, a Tory government? Are we going to take the word of a Starmer-led Labour government that if we vote for uh, this Devo Max option that they'll deliver things? You know, it'll just be like a more formal version of the pledge in 2014 where they raised it and promised all these things that then just evaporated within days of the result. Um, and also, personally, you know, if Devo Max is going to, at the very least, it would leave foreign policy in the, the, the hands of the UK government, uh, which means no going back into the EU uh, for them, that, that, which is obviously a, a big driver for a lot of people. Um, Defence would remain part of the uh, with the UK government. Uh, certainly for a lot of people my age that get really radicalised with the Iraq war, a lot of the attraction of uh, independent Scotland is that we would not follow blindly into a, 
a, a war in the Middle East. So the idea that, oh yeah, we'll have independence, but we'll leave that, you know, it sort of seems to miss. Always felt as if it was missing the point to me because they're such big parts of what independence would be. Um, so I really don't think it will go anywhere though because I think the public have just moved beyond it. These were interesting discussions 10 years ago, but I mean, to say I, something. I, I, I'm taking on board what you're saying and I'm agreeing with a lot of it. I think though that it's having us, we're now talking about why we want independence and not devolution. And that, I mean, how many people are having this discussion? I don't know, but it is an interesting talking point of getting people talking about it again. Um, it reminds people, oh, no, no, no. Okay, the refugees are still going to get screwed. Um, we're still not going to have trade relations. We're still not going to be able to do this. We're still not going to be able to do that. I think that that is a good thing to be talking about it. Um, the other thing I wonder is how much of this, I, I would have to reread the article, but I think a lot of what Jamie Hepburn's brief is, is speaking to unions and like trades unions and businesses. And maybe that's a conversation starter with them more so than with membership. If that yeah. makes sense, it's it's a better put way of Ben McPherson's latest softly, softly incrementalism. I think it's incrementalism in practice mm. with some bold language. See, this is this is what I was trying to say quite badly at the start, was that if you get loads of SP members together and talk about Devo Max, it's probably gonna be quite a you know, a maybe a cynical conversation. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but you know what I mean? It's not gonna go anywhere. However, if you are <clears throat> the Minister for Independence and you are going out and speaking to unions who do not already have a position on independence. And this is a great starting point. Um, and if you go and speak to these groups, the communities, pressure groups, all these different things, you know, all these um, green uh, activist groups, things like that, like these are the types of groups that, you know, really want to see radical change, might not actually have a distinct position on, on the constitution as such. Um, and that's these are the types of people to have this discussion with, and 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 it's true what you're saying because because we're talking about Devo Max, we're talking about why that wouldn't be our preferred option. So it's about having teasing out those discussions with with people who are already politically engaged, already engaged with specific campaigns around climate, employment, you know, social justice, all these different things, <clears throat> and trying to unify a progressive and inclusive block of people to to start having broader conversations about how the the independence cause could be a positive thing for them um and and not just and i think this is where and this is a broader criticism of the smp because i felt for quite some time it was very much like oh my goodness look at the state that the westminster's making in the uk this is terrible come on let's go that's not enough it's not enough um, and okay maybe it got us to the you know between the 48 and the 51% that we were constantly bashing about for ages that's not enough it's not enough and because because we know that like like David said many times on, on, on the show where you could end up with a Corbynista style government that might do really well in the polls and that could just burst a hole and you know this let's go and get out of Westminster type of gig so yeah it's definitely started us talking about things that we weren't talking about before so hopefully around the kitchen tables around scotland people are doing the same thing i mean i understand why this keeps popping up again in terms of 
like people in leadership positions because it's quite easy for like me to say slam the table and say no it's you know independence or bust you know you know let's go for it forget about you know a three option a multi-option referendum I don't have any responsibility for trying to deliver that and a referendum another referendum and they have to kind of feels like all the eggs are in the one basket and if I was responsible for that like if I was like in a leadership position in the Scottish government or the SNP that would be terrifying to me yeah. so I understand why you might start looking at a multi-option referendum and saying well maybe it's not perfect but it might give us a kind of smaller victory but not take us all the way but it takes us a step closer rather than let's go for it. Oh, 40, we only get 49% and it's over. It's over for decades. It's up to its future it generations that will see it. It would be. I think this also kind of shows us how important it was for Hamza to appoint uh independence minister because now it's not his thing. It's not attached to his name, right? Because if it doesn't work, it was just an idea that was floated. It isn't Hamza's plan. Like the other one was Nicola's plan. And on a just totally lighter, sillier note, what would the no campaign look like if there was a three option? I feel like even some Tories would be in the Devo Max campaign, right? And Lib Dems and Labour would be. And then you get like UKIP and and the people who really love the UK flag uh, on the no campaign. I Sometimes I picture things in my mind and it cracks me up. Yeah, I think it would kind of feel like three different campaigns. Like I could see um, Labour sort of claiming ownership and then possibly victory of uh, if Devo Max came out in the. In I mean, it would definitely mean you couldn't call one side vile nationalists and not the other, right? I don't want a three option referendum, by the way. I do not. And I, I do think, think it's happen. a good conversation. And I very much enjoyed our conversation this evening, but it has to come to an end. Um, so did can we I... end on a good note? Did we what? Did we end on a positive note? Yeah, we did. Just, we did. I did manage to take it down into a depressing thing, maybe we just peaked up again there right before the end. Right, so. quickly, read out your, your script before it gets right. negative. Go. <laughs> You can find all our podcasts at leftungag.org as well as written articles, and you can sign up for our free newsletter. You can also check out the Talk Sense podcast with Kat and Erin. I believe there's one in the can. Yeah, is that right? Yes, Pride Month episode coming up shortly. Whoop, whoop. You can also join our Discord community, and if there's anything you want us to talk about um, on Hollywood Ungagged, you can tweet us at underscore ungagged and put hashtag Hollywood Ungagged. Or you can send us an email, ungaggedleft at gmail.com, putting Hollywood Ungagged in the subject line. And if you enjoyed this, please give us five stars on whatever podcast platform you use. Till then, have fun, be good, and be lucky. Bye. Bye-bye.